This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich, that's how it goes. Everybody knows. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody A lot of interesting chatter going around uh, these days on K Street in Washington. And we'll get to this story in uh, mere moments. K Street in Washington is uh, where a lot of the, uh, the, the buildings that house the, uh, the administrators, the bureaucrats that make Washington run, and a lot of the lobbyists as well are situated on uh, what is known as K Street in Washington. A lot of chatter uh, down there, I'm hearing, that there is an announcement coming. What kind of an announcement? just about the most important announcement you could imagine, I would think. Disclosure, ladies and gentlemen. The chatter is that someone in Washington, perhaps associated with the uh, Barack Obama administration, will be making an announcement about disclosure, UFO disclosure, imminently. I'll uh, be discussing that with Stephen Bassett, probably, arguably, the world's most important, uh, influential UFO disclosure advocate. He's just returned uh, from a tour in Europe where he's been talking about uh, UFO disclosure. And I will be asking him not only about the tour of Europe, but also, again, this rumor about... uh, chatter on K Street that UFO disclosure is imminent. The other interesting uh, bit of chatter, of course, has to do with the email hacking at the Hadley Climate Research Unit. That's at the East Anglia University in the UK. Boy, you'd have to be living under a rock not to have heard about this one. 
Some are suggesting that these leaked emails intercepted among uh, researchers at the Hadley uh, CRU, as it's known, might be the final nail in the coffin concerning the, uh, the argument for man-made global warming. It is alleged that these emails contain damning information, damning admissions, in fact, that the data in support of man-made global warming has in fact been massaged, manipulated, out and out fudged. We'll talk with uh, Professor Timothy Ball a little bit later in the program. We are trying to raise, I say we, I mean Dan Ellison, my uh, trusty technical producer, we're trying to raise our good friend Dr. Patricia Doyle on the line. And uh, we were going to discuss this uh, mystery illness in, in Ukraine. Uh, some are suggesting that it is a pneumonic, a pneumonic fever, or a pneumonic plague, rather. Uh, others are suggesting it's something else entirely, and uh, others are saying that this is an extremely virulent form of swine flu. And uh, we're not able to reach Dr. Patricia Doyle, which is quite worrisome. Uh, she's always, always, always answered the bell for me, and I, I'm, uh, I'm only concerned because uh, Dr. Doyle, who is a dear friend, um, has suffered uh, numerous uh, health issues over the years since I've known her. She is in the final stages of uh, hepatitis C, and um, given that it is uh, flu season, I just worry about her health. Uh, for no other reason would I be concerned uh, for her not being on the program. But um, we'll keep trying uh, to reach her, if for no other reason just to uh, to put my mind at ease that uh, Dr. Patricia Doyle is is okay. All right, and, uh, and, and if we are able to raise her, we will, in fact, talk about this... Uh, Ukraine mystery illness. George Junescu was uh, kind enough to uh, to sort of tease uh, tonight's program, suggesting I had a very significant announcement to make, and I suppose that I do because I'm. I just received. I just uh, returned from the mailroom, and uh, I was expecting this. I wasn't expecting it in time for tonight's show, but uh, I'm I'm delighted that it arrived. A um, an envelope from York University here in Toronto. It's a document. It is, in fact, signed by Nick Velasquez, who is with the Physics and Astronomy Department at York University. What I'm holding in my hands, ladies and gentlemen, and Dan, you, don't, you really you don't know what this is about, but this is a certificate of achievement, again, signed by a member of the Physics and Astronomy Department at York University. It says, Certificate of Achievement for Richard Serrett, producer and host of The Conspiracy Show on AM740 Toronto. I am proud to announce, live on the radio, mark this down, this is historic, ladies and gentlemen, at 11.06.06 Eastern, on Sunday, November the 29th, I am announcing I am the world's first broadcaster among the world's first humans to have walked on the surface of Mars. Let me repeat. I am the first broadcaster and among the very first humans to have walked on the surface of Mars. Now, Dan, you're looking at me incredulously. You can see the document that I'm holding here. 
Again, this is signed by a member of the Physics and Astronomy Department at York University. Let me explain. Uh, I was, uh, of course, presenting a couple of weeks ago, co-presenting along with uh, my friends Victor Vigiani and Mike Bird from Exopolitics Canada, speaking of UFO disclosure. We were, we were co-presenting James Fox's latest documentary, I Know What I Saw, down at De La Salle College on Farnham Avenue in Toronto, which is, I've never been in that building. It's a beautiful, what a storied institution that is. I believe it was um, built and opened in the mid-19th century. This is a private Catholic school. And... Uh, as we walked the storied halls uh, in anticipation of the film, I was approached by Nick Belaskis, who signed this document, and he had a, a tiny little envelope, a plastic uh, envelope, and inside were these fragments. And he said, he told me, and, and Mike Bird and Victor Vigiani, these are, I can safely say, now verified as, as coming from Mars. Uh, apparently, York University, their astronomy department, they have a, a, quite a collection, and other universities around the world and inst research institutions have um, hundreds, maybe thousands of fragments of, of rocks that fell to Earth, and uh, they've long been suspected of coming from Mars, I guess via some uh, asteroid uh, collision or something. I don't know how they would be delivered here. However, they fell to Earth, and only recently, through some sort of chemical analysis, have they been able to uh, determine that they are from Mars? And the, the fragments that, uh, that uh, Mr. Belaskis brought from York University to the film screening were among the first uh, fragments, I guess, that have been verified as being essentially Mars rocks. So uh, the document goes on to say, the world's first humans to walk on Mars. This is to certify that the person named on this certificate, that would be me, removed his shoe and walked on a fragment of a meteorite officially known as Northwest Africa 1195. Space scientists have determined that this specimen was ejected off the surface of Mars. And this happened Saturday, Saturday November the 21st, 2009 at De La Salle College, Toronto, Canada. Well, there's something I'll be framing and uh, telling the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, of course, by then, it'll be, so what? You know, they've got Burger Kings on Mars, Granddad. Who cares? All right. Uh, we will uh, hook up with Stephen Bassett here in uh, just a moment, and we'll talk about, uh, again, this incredible rumor circulating around Washington that a UFO disclosure announcement may be imminent. And uh, after that, at some point, we'll check in with Professor Timothy Ball, and we'll talk about whether or not the final nail in the coffin uh, has been, or the, the final nail has been driven into the coffin of uh, the man-made global warming theory. Richard Serrett with you on a, uh, a crisp but lovely Sunday night live in Toronto, Canada. Hope you'll be along for the duration. Don't go away. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Stephen G. Bassett is a registered lobbyist for UFO issues in Washington, D.C. He has spent more than a decade trying to get Congress and the executive branch 
to reveal what they know about UFOs. Bassett is the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group. He's a leading advocate in the nation for ending the 62-year government-imposed truth embargo regarding an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race. He's a political activist, a lobbyist, a commentator, and a columnist. He's the founder of the Paradigm Research Group, the executive director of the Extraterrestrial Phenomena Political Action Committee, the creator of the Paradigm Clock, and the executive producer of the X Conference. His work has been covered extensively inside and outside the United States, and he has just completed a Northern Europe speaking tour uh, to talk about the... uh, the work of Exopolitics and the World Exopolitics World Network. The tour took him to uh, Oslo, Stockholm, uh, Helsinki, uh, Copenhagen, Berlin, I believe Brussels, Rotterdam, uh, Bern, London, and uh, elsewhere. We'll find out uh, more in a moment. But uh, first of all, Stephen, welcome to The Conspiracy Show here on AM740. How are you? Hi, Richard. It's nice to be with you. Congratulations on your new show. Thank you very much. Before we get to the speaking tour, uh, I mentioned to you in an email that uh, our friend Victor Vigiani and uh, Mike Bird from Exopolitics Canada, we uh, presented, uh, co-presented James Fox's new di- documentary, I Know What I Saw, back on November the 21st. And at that time, uh, Victor uh, was uh, talking to me about all of this amazing chatter, apparently, that's going on on K Street in Washington, and in fact... Without being prompted, after the documentary, we held a Q&A session, and a number of those in attendance were asking about that very same rumor. What uh, can you tell us uh, about uh, this rumor that K Street is abuzz with uh, with talk that uh, a UFO disclosure announcement is imminent? Well, when you say K Street, of course, it's referring to a famous street in Washington, D.C. that has... A lot of lobbying firms, legal firms, and what have you. There, there is a, a, a lot of rumors on the internet, uh, and once they get going and moved around, they get attached to almost anything. And this is important. Uh, most of these rumors are not corroborated; I mean, they're not supported, uh, but they all have some element of truth, some element of uh, connection to the issue. And what's it, what it's reflecting is an extreme, much a greater heightened uh, awareness and, and expectation amongst the general public. This concept of disclosure is now becoming endemic, and people understand it. They understand what it means. It means it doesn't mean releasing some UFO files. That's small d disclosure. It means government finally admitting that this is real, and they have seen a lot of. Uh, the evidence. They have listened to a lot of the political arguments, and they're ready for this to happen. And so if anything gets out there that raises the prospect of it happening soon, it's getting a lot of attention. Good. Now, it's impossible to simply say, oh, which rumors are solid, which aren't, what? No. And there's going to be more rumors. You can count on it. This is the Internet, after all. Um, this is an, you know, the media is very intense, can get very intense. Recently, uh, uh, Tiger Woods had a small accident outside of his home. Uh, he's a famous man. Last count, the number of stories written about it had surpassed 5,000. And something like a million bloggers had commented on it. So <clears throat> we, we should never lose sight of 
just how powerful the net is, how quickly it can respond, and how many factions, how many uh, elements are there. And so what we're seeing is, the, is, the, is the, the evidence for the formal rise of disclosure expectations amongst the public. Nothing happened on November 27th. I didn't know it wouldn't. That, that date, I believe, popped out of a web bot uh, program. Uh, the year is not up. Rumors that uh, Obama might do something are there. I have, I have stated that I felt disclosure could happen this year. That's not the same thing of saying it will happen. And I've certainly never predicted a date. I've also stated that if it doesn't happen in the U.S., it could happen overseas. All true. But it will happen when it happens. Uh, and when these rumors develop, I check them, I look at them a little bit, try to get a sense of them. And I particularly look at the information that's being used to draw upon them. So take, take the rumor about uh, disclosure that was put, put out as a result of the, the Camelot interview of Dr. Pete Peterson. Yes. No? All right, who is he? We don't know. Uh, did I talk to Bill Ryan to try to get a sense? Did he think he was solid? Yes. I looked at the interview. He seemed intelligent. But do I have an in-depth understanding of this man, his background, his career, his credentials? No. Uh, and, and without that, then what we have is one person who's passing on something he thinks is true, or maybe he doesn't. His source could have been wrong. But whatever, uh, it, it, it was a valid reason to at least raise the prospect that, you know, let's look at this. And then, of course, you had the Vatican five-day astrobiology conference. That was hardly uh, a trivial matter, and that has raised expectations. You've got reports coming out of Bulgaria, which is not one of the frontline countries, but I'm sure would like to be better appreciated in this world. Yes, we should reiterate, for those not familiar with that story, uh, these are supposedly, uh, how could I characterize them, uh, mainstream Bulgarian scientists uh, coming out and saying, uh, the aliens are here. Well, what, what they're saying, as near as I can tell, and a couple of people have actually called this scientists, and, it, and it's not just a scientist, it's an organization. Some kind of experiments underway where they're they're trying to telepathically communicate with extraterrestrials. I think it involves asking them to create certain kinds of crop circles. They're also studying crop circles for patterns, which, of course, is tricky, given that a significant percentage are being done by humans. But we do, we do know that this is not a fly-by-night situation there and that there's some serious people involved. That's very notable. <clears throat> what that tells me, excuse me, <coughs> is that Bulgaria just threw its hat in the ring on the disclosure matter. So that raises expectations. Um, and there were, of course, you know, last year, there was a lot of rumors regarding meetings at the UN, which I happen to think took place. So again, there's plenty of reason for rumors. There's plenty of reasons for expectations. We're seeing that manifest. I think from the standpoint of the government, the government has an extremely powerful reason why it's not going to leak anything in advance. You're not going to be hear rumors coming out of you're not going to see trial balloons. Because anything leaked in advance of the disclosure event is going to create a media storm, which is going to make it very hard on them, and they know that. And so they're going to try to put this thing together with complete blackout, uh, and uh, so that when the event takes place, it takes place cleanly without an absolute, you know, significant media storm. It'd have to be uh, that way, Stephen. If, if they've been so effective in keeping a lid on it for 62 years, they're not going to finally release, or, or they're not going to finally make an announcement in a very sort of haphazard, sloppy way. I can't imagine it. I mean, 
uh, <clears throat> they're not, I, I don't see them releasing UFO files like the UK and France because they know <clears throat> that <clears throat> that's going to generate a great deal of media here and that's going to put pressure on them. And remember, they're the, the U.S. is the lead country in this disclosure matter in the truth embargo, and so pressure on them is a problem. Pressure on the U.K., not such a problem. So I don't see them doing that. And, uh, and, and, but, and it's also true that a lot of these rumors tend to inoculate the government against a real leak that might come out from some of the entities that they're talking to as they try to formulate the final disclosure uh, event. So, look, it's going to get wild and crazy, and there's not much we can do about it. Uh, I, I encourage people to just kind of chill out if you can. Don't, don't get – I mean, be, be excited, excited. I mean, be, be energetic and, and, and pay attention, but don't jump on every rumor that comes along because this is, this is – there's going to be a lot of them. Um, look at them. File them away. Take note. If something truly profound turns up, focus, no question. I can assure you that everything that turns up now, there are researchers out there that get on it immediately. All right, Stephen, <clears throat> stay up. What we'll uh, pick it up on the other side, and uh, we'll also talk about your uh, recent sojourn to uh, Northern Europe and your speaking tour there to discuss exopolitics worldwide. Back with more of the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Clinton was asked a question by White House reporter Sarah McLennan about why he didn't do something about uh, disclosure. And Clinton replied, Sarah, there's a government inside the government and I don't control it. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. That uh, clip you heard coming back was former Canadian Defence Minister Paul Hellyer a liberal defense minister under the Lester B. Pearson government. Uh, so we're talking mid to late 60s. And, uh, of course, that announcement uh, that he made about five years ago, I believe, at uh, the University of Toronto was a real bombshell. Uh, to have someone of that importance, uh, that level, a former defense minister, essentially uh, admitting... Or, or, or saying that he believes uh, that uh, there is a, uh, an alien presence, UFOs are visiting or, or flying saucers from uh, advanced civilizations are visiting the planet. Uh, very significant. Uh, Stephen Bassett is uh, with us from the Paradigm Research Group. And uh, first of all, when were you in, uh, in Northern Europe, uh, Stephen, and, and precisely what was your purpose in going there? Well, I was there from September 10th to October 20th, a 40-day tour, and there were a number of reasons I went. The first and foremost was the <clears throat> tremendous success of the Exopolitics European Summit, which was put together by uh, Pepon Hover and Miguel Salates. And it was held in a uh, four-star resort in Sitges, Spain. There were 1,300 people attending. 
uh, it's 1,100 seat auditorium with simultaneous uh, wireless translation. Very impressive, and it showed that the exopolitics in Europe was growing fast. It's probably faster than here, frankly. The interest in it, and the interest in disclosure, of course, which is the principal exopolitical issue in play. So, <clears throat> I was able to put together a very inexpensive tour of Europe by by drawing on my networks. I had pretty substantial Facebook network as well as TRG network. And we were able to get hosts for 18 venues, 18, 19 venues. Uh, so I had to pay no hotel costs, about half the travel costs were covered, maybe even two-thirds. Uh, this, the trip was very inexpensive for that reason, all that support. And I did it, uh, one, to try to, to spread the word about exopolitics in Europe and build the Exopolitics World Network. The Exopolitics World Network has been very successful, and the website is exopoliticsworld.net. We're up to 23 sites, 22 countries, one per country, as portals for each country on exopolitics, and they're all connected and cross-promoting each other. And they have very similar URLs, like exopoliticsfrance.fr, exopoliticsgermany.e, and so forth. And it's, it's really growing, and these, these are all acting as platforms for the administrators and directors of these sites to do more stuff, and more conferences are being created. Uh, next year, Spain is planning, uh, exopolitics Spain is now thinking in terms of 3,000 for the second Exopolitics European Summit. So I wanted to, to help advance that, and we hope to get new countries soon. wanted to hear what Europeans had to say about disclosure. They're quite enthusiastic about it. I wanted to meet a lot of people. I talked to hundreds of people, including many, many contactees, in every nation I was there. I had some important meetings with some government advisors, you know, civilian, but advisors to, to high-level people in government in London. Made some good contacts there. <clears throat> Tried to raise some funding. Uh, try to make some funding contacts to, to get PRG going again and get the X conference uh, up and going for 2010. And that was essentially the, the reason for going, and it was very successful. We had you know, audiences ranging from 10 or 15 in some homes up to 330 in Paris. Uh, there were five conferences involved, five, six, five, six you know, special venues for special events. So given, you know, how, how little time it was to put it together is fantastic success. I'm hoping I can do something similar for southern France soon. And I'm also thinking of a tour, similar, again, network tour with hosts and so forth for Australia, maybe in the summer. I um, <coughs> was watching a James Fox documentary, I Know What I Saw, and in the uh, documentary, uh, he speaks to the... Uh, I'm not sure if it's the head of uh, sort of France's equivalent of NASA, and they recently, of course, uh, had a major, uh, well, unloaded uh, uh, thousands and thousands of uh, UFO-related yeah. documents. 2007, they, they released major files, yeah. And uh, this individual from, again, France's equivalent to NASA, essentially uh, admitting that, you know, that he, he believes uh, that uh, the UFO presence here on Earth is, is real. Mm -hmm. That's... Uh, Pretty significant, coming from a major country like yeah. France. Um, coming from a figure. Yes. In an important organization in France. Yes. Recently, a, a former member of the Brazilian government, uh, I think I think Ministry of Defense, uh, he, a number of years ago, but he, he, he interviews with A.J. Gavard, confirmed that he thought it was real. I mean, this is popping up all over the place. Uh, this, again, is disclosure with a small b. Uh, all, all of this activity reflects the fact that quite a few countries are either taking direct action to put pressure on the United States 
and or have green-lighted people to speak out. Uh, and so the U.S. is going to come under increasing pressure from more and more countries with each passing week. Uh, we expect more files released from new countries soon, uh, demanding that we take action and well, that we end this truth embargo. Well, it's here's that simple. Here's the interesting thing: if the reason, part of the reason for the embargo is, uh, you know, a national security issue in term, uh, as far as the United States is concerned, when these other countries um, uh, start to unload these documents, I'm guessing that someone in, in Washington is picking up the phone and calling uh, someone in Paris or in London saying, what are you guys doing, or, or making some sort of inquiries, except that there's a, a bit of a problem with them doing that. Officially, the United States stopped uh, investigating UFOs in 1969. So if they are, in fact, um, uh, you know, calling these countries and, and making inquiries, mm. isn't that, an, in fact, an admission that they are investigating UFOs? Well, if, if it were happening, it would be an admission of sorts. But I doubt there's any call such, uh, such as that taking place diplomatically. If there's any communication, it's going on in the intelligence world. I mean, I'm, I'm sure most of your listeners understand that a great deal of the communication that goes on between countries doesn't go along between the ambassadors and between uh, members of their government. It, it, it goes on between the intelligence organizations. That's where the talk is. That's where they talk to each other. Sure. It's all very safe, very secure. Um, but you have no knowledge it, of, of uh, the CIA or, or, or oh, anyone investigating. But even if they did, even if they did, it ain't going to do any good. I mean, look, the, the era when the United States could just tell the world to jump and the, the world would say how high, that ship has sailed. What country that, that you visited, whether it was France or Germany or, or Norway or, or, or Sweden, uh, did you receive the, uh, the most sort of enthusiastic um, uh, reception because they, uh, uh, they're just so hungry for this kind of information? Well... The receptions were good everywhere. Uh, no, no one really stands out that much. Uh, I did note a, a, a lot of energy, though, in uh, Brussels. There's kind of a grassroots movement out there called the Ground Crew. Uh, it just got it informally got started a few years ago. And it's like they call themselves the Ground Crew because they're sort of preparing uh, the ground, <laughs> the, the, the runway, I guess you could say, for ET contact at some point. And... They come together, and they form their own little groups, and they're turning up in different countries. There's one in Brussels. I mean, there's one in Belgium. I think there's one in Switzerland. There may be one in California. There's one maybe in Holland. But they're really kind of cool. I like them. And uh, they had a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, there was a great deal of enthusiasm in, uh, in Paris. We had 320 turnout. There's a show there run by Didi Duplage called Here and Now. ECE maintenant, and it's good, good show. He's been doing it for a long time. And we had 100 people show up and paid, I think they paid 15 euros each for just to hear me speak in Oslo, and very attentive. Uh, so I, I can assure you, the interest in exopolitics in Europe is growing very, very fast. And it's not surprising, given that these countries are releasing files. I mean, as these files are released, let me give an example of what happens when files are released. It's particularly true in the U.K., which has had four separate file release um, dumps. And the files are not earth-shaking. They're not, they're not going to release gun camera footage of UFOs being chased by their, their Air Force, but they release the basic files. It's a message to the U.S. But these thousands of files have thousands of cases in them. And these cases all occurred at different places, like different
cities, different parts of the UK and so forth, or France or whatever. And so when they get released, uh, they, 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 the press starts going through them, and these various cities notice, oh, here's, here's, here's that one about that one that happened here back in 1989, 1995. And so the local press at these cities then write articles about the event, right, because it's been brought back into play. This generates hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of articles throughout UK, and it's happening in France and elsewhere. So the, the effect of releasing these files is to generate huge numbers of media articles, which just raises public interest. Right? So you see what's happening? I mean, this is not rocket science. No, the ante is definitely being uh, upped, and uh, we are uh, being prepared. I, I get the sense, prepared for something. Uh, uh, I've been prepared for, I mean, we've been getting acclimized for a long yes. time, either intentionally or unintentionally. Uh, but uh, the, the, the important thing is, is that uh, this, this, is a, this is a political game being played. This is a chess game being played. The, 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 for whatever reason, these countries do not want to act unilaterally and go before their people and tell them the ET presence is real. They want the U.S. to do it first. There are some, there are some, you know, it's a bit of a complicated discussion, but there are some pretty good reasons why it would, might be best if the U.S. initially ended this embargo and then these other countries followed. But we won't do it. I mean, if you, if you all haven't noticed up there, we, we, we're so tied up in knots down here, it's amazing we can get out of bed without and make it to the bathroom brush our teeth i mean our government can't get anything done no which is uh, which is why i'm i'm very uh, uh skeptical that uh, I, I know you don't necessarily share this view i'm very skeptical that that uh, disclosure is is going to come anytime soon uh and, and not i mean this administration has has its hands full let me grab a quick call here uh, Stephen, yeah, sure. if i might uh let's uh say hello to tina in wawa hello Hi. tina how are you doing, Richard? I'm well, thank you. Um, I just like to say that first of all, there's always the note that we must take note of this that um, the EU will do anything to, you know, misdirect people so to put their attention to other things. I mean, for instance, even here in Canada, nothing. I mean is done unless the Prime Minister says so. And since Canada is not cognizant of ever having a dictatorship, they're not aware that that is what we are under. In this country, nothing is said or done without Prime Minister Harper's approval. It's as simple as that. And whatever Hillier says, he just says nothing to back it up, totally ignores it as if it was never said. And uh, there will be no more information gotten out unless he decides it will be so. And as for France, I mean, you got to look at the, Fran at the fact that France has said that um, the U.S. must accept the fact that the EU is going to develop a military role independent of NATO, and they will increase its military power either outside of NATO or by using NATO as a tool. So... They are just, this UFO thing is just a whole smokescreen. They're allowing to be used in little, you know, bits, puffs of smoke out here and there to keep us diverted from what they're really up to. And like our, our prime minister, he doesn't care what happens as long as he can sit at the round table. All right, Tina and Wawa, I appreciate the, the call. Uh, well, Stephen, the other consideration is that the, the politicians don't know any more than we do. Now that, that's that's. 
somewhat true. Let's, but I want to address her points. First of all, uh, let's think about her point about nothing happens in Canada without the Prime Minister's approval. Let it, let it let's be clear. Since 1996, Canada has, has been releasing thousands of UFO files to the Internet. They're up right now. So she's correct. That, ha- that wasn't done without the approval of the Prime Minister. And that's putting pressure on the United States. Let's <clears throat> talk about France. These actions by France and other nations reflect, in fact, a strong, growing independence. They, they want to be independent of the U.S. They, they don't want our military there anymore. They want to create their own forces. This is exactly what you would expect uh, in terms of the, the, the truth embargo. They, they, they want this thing to get done, and they're independently putting pressure on us and threatening the possibility of unilateral action. And then the EU is not the only place that the pressure is coming from. I mean, it's also coming from Australia, which has released thousands of documents. It's coming from Brazil, Mexico, Uruguay. And so I'm afraid I have to disagree with the young woman. Uh, uh, the UFO issue is extremely well established. It's been around 60 years. It's, it's so much more than a smokescreen. 150 million people can't be wrong, Stephen. They've seen something. Oh, that's just for openers. Um, and when I, when I met with some advisors uh, in London, I was a briefing was set up just to kind of introduce myself. I was trying to be careful, but within almost minutes, uh, these men, one in particular, who have briefed high-level people, including heads of state like uh, Pierre Trudeau and, uh, and President Mitterrand, Jimmy Carter, they said, oh, no, we talk about ETs and UFOs with these people, and, and high-level officials, and heads of state, all the time. He said, you do, yeah, privately. They will never say anything publicly. And then I, I decided, oh, I'll go for broke here. I said, well, have any of these leaders or high-level people in the government that you've consulted with, you know, and you're kind of just private chit-chat, ever indicated they were being, they were contactees? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, over half the United States Congress knows the ET thing is real. It doesn't mean whether they're briefed or not. It just means they figured it out just like we have. That's true of probably the parliament. It's true of almost everybody in government. This is the, 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 the private and the public universe on this issue are now paper thin apart. And they're about to explode into each other. Because this duality, this, this, this charade, simply cannot sustain itself any longer. All right, Stephen. <clears throat> well, uh, thank you for um, setting the record straight on the, uh, the rumors coming out of Washington about uh, a UFO disclosure announcement being imminent. Uh, and uh, who knows, perhaps it is. We'll, uh, we'll keep listening and watching, and uh, maybe one day we'll wake up and there'll be a, uh, a special uh, press conference on CNN. and That'll be that. That'll be that. But there's going to be more rumors, believe me. And, uh, you know, if possible, I'll try to respond where we have some information. But uh, don't be alarmed by that, and don't get upset if, if they don't prove out. It reflects a much larger process underway, which is leading to disclosure, which is, I assure you, inevitable and soon. Stephen Bassett, thank you. The Paradigm Research Group. All right, when we come back, Hadley Climate Research Unit and uh, the fake emails. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Missed a previous episode of The Conspiracy Show? You can log on to my website, richardserrett.com, and there's a past show archive there. And for an incredibly reasonable uh, amount of $1.50, you can, uh, through PayPal, you can download and uh, listen to previous shows. And, of course, my Strange Planet episodes, which is about a three- or four-minute feature, uh, Volume 1. 
You can download those as well. And uh, what else can I tell you about here? Oh, I have uh, some other uh, news for you to share. Not only am I the first among the first humans to have walked on Mars, as I noted earlier, and I've got the uh, certificate from York University to prove it, I'm also offering a course on uh, talk radio where you can learn how to uh, produce, write, and host in the talk radio and talk TV industry. It'll be a 39-hour course stretched over 13 weeks to begin January 2010. I'll be teaching it at the Toronto Film and Media College, 1 Eglinton Avenue East. Again, that's January 2010. Positions are limited. So you can um, contact me through the website, richardserrett.com for more details. Again, that's a 39-hour course stretched over 13 weeks. Learn how to produce, write, and host in the talk radio and talk TV industry. And that begins January 2010. Seating is limited. Contact me through the website richardserrett.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. Talking about emails, this has really caused a firestorm. Hadley Climate Research Unit is um, part of East Anglia University. And a lot of the data that informs the, uh, the media, the, uh, those who uh, support the theory of man-made global warming, comes out of Hadley. Well, recently, hackers were, were able to leak emails between researchers at Hadley and those emails revealed or apparently revealed that a lot of the data has been massaged, uh, manipulated or even fudged, which has a lot of people wondering on both sides of uh, the argument and that argument being whether global warming is in fact happening at all and whether if it is it's man-made has a lot of us uh, wondering, you know, wh what to make of all this. So I thought it's a uh, high time we brought on really one of the pioneering climatologists who has uh, long argued against the theory that man's activities are causing global warming. He is a retired university professor and global warming skeptic, as I said. He heads the Natural Resources Stewardship Project and he's the former head of Friends of Science, an organization skeptical of human-caused global warming. Professor Timothy Ball, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hi, Richard. Thanks uh, for the opportunity to speak about this. Just a couple of quick uh, corrections, um, and you uh, couldn't have known this, but first of all, NRSP, which you said, uh, we, we couldn't get funding. We had to shut down because, okay. of course, all the attacks. And the other thing is, uh, be very careful, uh, the Hadley Center is the uh, is a, a section of the United Kingdom Meteorological Office. They were working with the Climate Research Unit, the CRU, uh, which is, is at East Anglia. It's the CRU that's actually at the center of the problem. Right. Now, and, um, and, uh, now they did work together briefly because the global temperatures that are put out each year are called the HADCRUT, H-A-D-C-R-U-T, temperatures, but um, they separated about uh, within the last year uh, because um, 
people were pushing for freedom of information, and it's pretty obvious that the Met Office realized that they were getting into a, a corner. And so they separated from what was going on at the CRU, and that, that was one of the many, many sing- signals that I saw. So, yeah, it, it, as I said, uh, one of the things is, you know, you've got to be very, very precise because they love to pick on one small error, er, error and throw the baby out with the bathwater. All right. First of all, let me say I'm, I'm shocked that the Natural Resources Stewardship Project has gone under due to lack of funding when apparently we've all been told that uh, you were funded by big oil. So <laughs> that's very <laughs> I, curious well, to me. Well, I wish, that, I wish that was true. I might be able to afford their product. No, this is all <laughs> part of... Um, the what's called the ad hominem, the personal attacks. Once you when you start to lose an argument, and of course, um, as, as you very kindly said, I've been uh, at the core of the other side, and I hate that term, but um, uh, I was a great threat. Not only because I was questioning what they were doing, but I was qualified to do it. And of course, uh, they they were able to do, dismiss a lot of other people by saying they weren't qualified. Of course, what's interesting is well, when you say well, uh, we're, what are Al Gore's qualifications? Suddenly, that's not important. Right. But um, yeah, NRSP, we just simply couldn't get the funding. And one of the difficulties is, of course, that all of the funding has gone to one side of the issue, particularly government funding, and and uh, what that's done is distort the science. Uh, because really, all I've ever pushed for is, look, let's get the debate, let's get all the facts on the table, and that hasn't been happening. Let's uh, get to the um, these emails uh, yeah. out of the CRU that were hacked. First of all, let me yeah. let me state for the record that I'm I'm very wary when a story like this comes out because it 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 has a feeling to me that it's almost too good to be true that it's mm-hmm. that, that it's too damning. Yep. And uh, I'll give you a, a sort of a parallel example. I, I've talked a lot on this show and others about the um, the whole uh, uh, Barack Obama controversy about whether he was a natural-born citizen and whether he was eligible to be president and so forth. And every once in a while, a document comes out, which appears to be pretty damning. Uh, it might be carried in a, a newspaper in, uh, let's say, Nairobi. Uh, you know, Obama's Kenyan birth certificate uncovered. And, uh, of course, everyone who's sort of on the... Uh, the the birther movement aside yeah. gets very excited and then a couple of days later that story is discredited yeah. and i think what happens in many of these cases keeping in mind i'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist but mm-hmm. uh, i think there's some truth to this someone from the opposing side will float a story like that that's very easily discredited yeah. and what happens is it deflates the other side entirely when that happens because it's like the old straw man argument yeah. Uh, yeah. you see this story was we've proven it's incorrect therefore they're all incorrect and yep. this this email hacking story has the same smell to me. I'm that, it's almost too good to be true. No, Richard, you're absolutely right and and um, and of course uh, now uh, as you know conspiracies do occur, right? And so so the argument oh well, you did dismiss it as oh you're just a conspiracy theorist, they do occur. Um and and uh, I will tell you I agree with you to be cautious and so on. But let me let me try and present some of the issues uh, and arguments in favor of it. Um, the um, first of all, uh, the timing, of course, is one of the things that's pointed at as proof that it's that it's been phony, because it's coming out just before Copenhagen when they're going to discuss all of these issues, and uh, so it's it's argued that this is this is deliberate. Well, uh, I would say, yeah, that that's true. Because these documents do, in fact, uh, undermine the whole Copenhagen and cap and trade and all the rest of it. But but here's the point: 
um, first of all, uh, there was a debate about um, whether they were, these were simply hacked or whether they were re- uh, produced by a whistleblower. That is a very important part of this because uh, if it does go to a, a, a court case, if the, if the material is hacked, then in a British court especially, and that's assuming that would be the jurisdiction, uh, hacked material is not uh, admissible evidence. If it's a whistleblower, however, it is admissible. Now, I uh, to, several things that make me uh, think it, or know that this is, is real material. The first is um, the files, the extent of them, and the detail of the emails, and I've read uh, most of them now, I'm familiar with the people that are involved. I'm familiar with all of the details of the science and the history. And, and for somebody to fake this, they would have to be the greatest faker in history. It just simply couldn't be done. And not only that, it isn't just emails that have been leaked. It is the uh, computer code uh, that they use to uh, falsify the computer record with. And uh, so... And, and uh, although it's given out as 61 megabytes of information, that's condensed. It's actually 127 megabytes of information. It is massive. And, and I said, you could read an email, and, I, and I, uh, I know these people so well that just by the form and structure and the wording of their email, I can almost tell you who wrote it. All right, Tim, let's, uh, let's come back, and then on the other side we'll discuss uh, who wrote these emails and uh, exactly what is the uh, Climate Research Unit. Uh, what do they do? What are they responsible for? And how damning uh, are these emails? Back with more of my conversation with global warming skeptic Dr. Timothy Ball. My name is Richard Serrett. You stay with us. Is it possible that leaked documents out of the Climate Research Unit in the UK prove climate change is a hoax? You can get on board now and uh, tell us what you think. Dr. Timothy Ball is uh, with us, retired university professor, global warming skeptic, and uh, the former head of Friends of Science. Uh, all right, the, con- the uh, Climate Research Unit. Uh, how did it get started, and uh, what exactly do they do there? Okay, just just a last comment on the what we did before the break. Okay, the head of it, uh, the head of the CRU, was Phil Jones, and he has publicly said that these are genuine documents. So that puts the conspiracy theory really to rest. He has not denied. He has he has said, and in fact, many of the people whose emails are in there, um, many of them not involved with the CRU. They've they've actually sent emails to the CRU. They say. Uh, all of their, all of them have said that their emails are genuine. So I, I think the conspiracy thing can be put aside. But the Climatic Research Unit, um, during the war, there was a, 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 a Hubert Lamb. He was a meteorologist in, in the British Weather Office, and uh, he got a lot of complaints about the inaccuracy of weather forecasts for the bombers going over Europe. And he decided that the, better, the best way to improve a forecast was to get a better understanding of the patterns of weather in the past and then understand the mechanisms to allow better forecasting. Um, and so in, in the uh, graveyard shift, he would go into the archives and start digging around. Of course, what he found out was how much the climate changes naturally. And um, as a result, after the war, he tried to get the... Uh, the uh, weather office to uh, set up a unit to start researching climate change 
and uh, they were not interested at all. And um, so he then uh, left his job and uh, got some funding and set up this climate research unit at the University of East Anglia. And I had the privilege of um, visiting with him on on a few occasions um, when I was doing my doctoral thesis. I also had the privilege that he reviewed uh, one of the uh, papers that I uh, published. But anyway, um, uh, Lamb, of course, uh, he he, um, uh, was not... A very good with, um, or not an expert, I should say, in in computer models and mathematics. So he hired a guy by the name of Tom Wigley, and Wigley, you'll see his name all over these uh, emails. He's the uh, grandfather of the whole thing. He's the go-to guy. So when you read the emails, and these people are saying, "Look, we've got this problem. How do we get around it?" He tells them how to fix it, how to to falsify the record, how to delete material, and and uh, how to and warns them about things. And Wigley, of course, then took over the CRU. He then hi- or pe- people came in, graduate students uh, came in there. And many of them, of course, are now uh, uh, there. Phil Jones, who now the current director, is one of them. Benjamin Santer, who um, was involved in the very first scandal. Uh, related to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change reports, which, of course, have become the uh, the uh, official doctrine for world governments worldwide. And all of these people that are named in these uh, emails uh, are either from the CRU, graduates of the CRU, or have become affiliated with them, but they also control the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change uh, process. And their names uh, are listed in all of the authors' lists, particularly in key chapters, like the chapter on climate models, the chapter on uh, atmospheric chemistry, the chapter on paleoclimate or past climates. So that's the CRU, and that's how it evolved. And it briefly worked with the uh, Hadley Center, and we're, we're and they are, uh, between them, they became the world authority on uh, the annual global temperature. And of course, we hear, oh, it's going up, and and uh, it's just you know the warming's definitely happening, and so on and so forth. So they really took control of the whole climate science process. And as I said, I watched them do this over thirty years, and and I I knew what they were doing, but I just couldn't prove it. All right, so and now, share. Of course, we've got the smoking gun. Share some of the more uh, damning uh, uh, emails that would highly or strongly suggest that the CRU and their data which has informed the Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change and the, the whole case for global warming. Share some of the more damning emails with us, if you could. Well, uh, for example, um, there was um, uh, uh, Steve McIntyre, who was the guy that um, uh, realized that the hockey stick, which is a famous uh, graph that was produced by Michael Mann and Bradley and Hughes, and it was in the 2001 report, he um, he, his career in Toronto uh, was uh, uh, looking at uh, mining claims. And, of course, a lot of those, there's the danger of those being falsified. So he developed the skill, and he's a brilliant mathematician and stati- stat- uh, statistician and, um, and a graduate of the University of Toronto. And, in fact, I think he came second in the, in the Ontario uh, Math Prize one year. And, but he, he looked at the graph, and even though he's not a climate person, he knew immediately that the graph had been cooked. He, he had so much experience, and I'm not certain, but I believe he had some uh, participation in the BREX uh, scandal. But anyway, as soon as he saw this, um, 
he then uh, fired off a, an article to the what's called the Geophysical Research Letters Journal, and um, the author or the editor um, published that article. And in these emails, um, there's a, an email from Wigley um, uh, to Jones saying, you know, we we've got to stop this. This is this is getting dangerous, and we've got to get that editor fired uh, from the GRL. And uh, he said, uh, "We'll go. We'll go to the board, and, and we'll get it done." The editor ended up being fired, and uh, so uh, that's one example. Uh, the other example is that um, there's another email that says, uh, "Oh, I've managed to do Michael's trick of of uh, adding on data to achieve the uh, results that we want in the graph that we've produced." And uh, as I said, there are so many of those kinds of comments. And um, uh, well, what does that I, mean? I, adding yeah. on data, adding on data—that could mean just about well, anything. What, what you do uh, is that, uh, and I'll give you an example of, of, of one that I not not in this exa- instance, but when I dealt with in, in my own uh, area, um, doing studies on on hail insurance claims, uh, and um, when I started to look, they gave me the data, and I, when I was all I was interested in was plotting out the pattern of hail uh, in part of Canada. And and when I looked at the data, I suddenly realized this doesn't make sense. And what was going on was when there was very low hail claims, because there wasn't much hail, then uh, with their formula, the uh, price of the hail insurance should go down. So what they would do was when when there was a low year, they would throw that out and throw in a year that was exceptionally high, which then meant that they didn't have to reduce the uh, the charge or the price to the farmer for the hail insurance. Well, that's the kind of thing these people were doing. They had uh, when when the temperature record went down, um, they would ignore that and put in a record that made it go up, and that was one of the things they're doing. They were another thing that they were doing was they were rewriting the whole um, historic record. Um, what, what they did was that they lowered the early records, instrumental records, and, and which then made the uh, increase in temperature look greater than it actually was. And, uh, and of course, the hockey stick thing was, came about because um, uh, they had a problem in that, uh, and Lamb produced the original graph. Here's the modern temperature showing warm, but a thousand years ago, the temperatures were even higher than they are today, and um, and of course this had been shown with uh, hundreds and hundreds of different sources of data, and, and so on. And of course it raises questions about how the polar bears survived that. But nonetheless, the medi- it was called the medieval warm period, and it was Lamb that named it. And there's a, there's an incredible email, uh, Professor Deming, who um, published an article in Science in 1995. He says, "I, I received an email." From this group that were who were um, using uh, climate science to uh, uh, you know achieve a, a political and and, uh, and economic end, um, and uh, he said uh, we really uh, we really have to do something uh, about this. We have to get rid of the medieval warm period. So, in other words, what he was telling Deming was, you know, we're going to get rid of the med- well. That's what they did with this hockey stick. Right, they and, conveniently and left out. Of course, caught that, and when he put the 
put the data back in, oh, bang, there's that medieval warm period. So they completely rewrote the historic record. That is, and that, of course, that hockey stick graph that you referred to, of course, was a, a, had a central role in, uh, uh, I mean, a great deal of the argument yep. early on. It was featured, of course, very prominently in Al Gore's uh, movie, An Inconvenient Truth. Yes. Uh, for which he won an Academy Award, and yeah. he should have, because that was some pretty fine acting, I thought. Well, it was a, it, 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 as a propaganda movie, it should deserve yes. one, and, and I think that it got an Oscar is appropriate from the land of make-believe. But there's, <laughs> there's an interesting question with this, Richard. The, the IPCC got, a, got a, a, no, a Nobel Prize, too. So should they have to give that back? Because the, all the data, these people were involved in it, is, is cooked. But it, but the, you, you mentioned the hockey stick being pivotal. Um, one of the things that they controlled with the IPCC was, was called the summary for policymakers, and we can get into how that was manipulated. And um, uh, Michael Mann, who produced the hockey stick, controlled that particular chapter in the IPCC, and the hockey stick graph appears five times in that 2001 report. Okay, the second pivotal part of that report that convi- that was used to convince politicians and everybody of human caused global warming was uh, the claim that global temperatures had gone up 0.6 degrees Celsius uh, since the end of the 19th century, and uh, it it was said that that was a more rapid increase than could occur naturally. Therefore, it clearly was evidence of, of human input. The person who produced that number was our friend Phil Jones. And um, Warwick Hughes, an Australian researcher who was looking at climate data worldwide, um, and just out of pure interest, he, he wasn't questioning what Jones was doing. He, just said, he said, look, uh, you know, which stations did you select, and, and how did you come up with this number? And Jones immediately emailed back, and if anybody's interested, I'm happy to send them the email. He so emailed back and said, uh, we spent 25 years uh, coming up with this information. Why should we share it with you when all you want to do is find something wrong with it? Mm. And yet that was the second pivotal piece of, of our argument used to send the world in a completely wrong direction about CO2 and energy and cap-and-trade and everything else. Jones, by the way, to this day is still refusing to disclose how he came up with that number. And, um, and so it, 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 the two pivotal pieces that drove this whole thing into the public arena have now been shown to be completely falsified. And, of course, Michael Mann also, by the way, refused to disclose how he did his work. And uh, so as soon as that happened, I knew at the time that there, this, is, this is very serious. Why, and, why aren't these um, emails and these leaked emails and the fact uh, that uh, they suggest that uh, the data has been fudged and manipulated on global yeah. warming, why isn't this getting... Uh, a greater play in the mainstream media, uh, because one would think that this has the potential yep. for totally dis- derailing uh, Cop- the Copenhagen uh, talks. That's a very, very good question. And, and, of course, the question beyond that is is the motive, why these guys did this. Uh, the mainstream media one, I think, uh, first of all, uh, one of the um, uh, sort of large mouthpieces of the mainstream media is the New York Times. And um, the science writer for the New York Times is, is a fellow by the name of Andrew Revkin. And Revkin has emails in, that were in these hacked files. He was writing to these people saying, look, I'm being asked questions about this. How do I handle it? And they're telling him. In other words, Revkin's up to his neck in it. And, and Rev, when it first came out, Revkin immediately put out a, 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 a 
in the newspaper said the New York Times will not even consider this stuff um, because it has been obtained illegally, and we don't deal with that kind of information. Well, that's absolute rubbish. The, the New York Times has got a history of dealing with leaked material and leaked information. But, of course, Revkin had to cut it off at the pass, and this is how he did it. Um, the other thing is that um, uh, there is definitely a bias in, in the media, the, the mainstream media, the left-wing bias of the mainstream media. And also the other problem is that um, uh, unless you know the science, unless you know the history of what went on, many of these emails look uh, innocuous. And, of course, that's one of the things, uh, Richard, that they've used to be able to fool the world on this. They know, first of all, they've used fear. Oh, the sky is falling and the end of the world is coming and that. The second thing they've done is they've known that people simply don't understand the science. So they can come out and say things without contradiction. But the minute somebody like me comes up and says, no, no, here's the real, oh, don't listen to him, paid by the oil companies, um, he's in the minority, the, the massive, uh, the science is settled, the majority of scientists agree, and all of these arguments that you've heard, uh, which of course are absolute rubbish, um, uh, this is how they dealt with it. All right, Tim, um, uh, stay, stay uh, put, we'll uh, come back. The science, that's always intriguing to me when someone says, you know, the jury is in on the science. That's the whole point of science. The, you know, they never get to the final answer. That's the whole raison d'etre of science, is to constantly be questioning and reevaluating. The science is never in. All right, Timothy Ball, my guest, stay with us. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You eat like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers. And brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders. By our kings and queens. Brainwashed in the open and brainwashed behind the scenes. Live from Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Timothy Ball is uh, with us, global warming skeptic. And uh, an email here from Marshall who writes, I think it's incorrect to call climate change junk science. There probably is some legitimate science, but there is no doubt that Al Gore et al. turned it into a scam the criminal aspect is that it will turn healthy economies on their heads. Um, uh, Timothy, before I get to the phone calls, uh, let me, um, uh, and we do invite them at uh, 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, toll free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740, the um, the correlation, if there is one, uh, and again, this is central to the uh, the global warming uh, theory. Uh, this, the correlation between CO two 
and rising temperatures. Explain that. The, well, uh, that's the, the assumption in the uh, what is called the anthropogenic global warming theory, which is the humans cause global warming theory. Um, the assumption is that uh, an increase in CO2 will cause an increase in temperature, and that argument is made because it's argued that uh, CO2 is one of the greenhouse gases that keep the global temperature higher than it would be if, if you uh, based it on just the amount of energy coming in and the, uh, and the amount of energy going out. And, um, and of course, one of, this is one of the deceptions that's gone on. Um, they list greenhouse gases, Environment Canada to do this. They list greenhouse gases. They leave out the one that, that is 95% by volume of the greenhouse gases, and that's water vapor. CO2 is less than 4% of the greenhouse gases. But here's the critical thing, and, and relates to your question. That's the fundamental assumption in the theory. And, of course, theories are all based around assumption or, uh, assumptions and are only as valid as the assumptions. So, for example, in Einstein's theory, uh, the assumption is that nothing can go faster than the speed of light. Well, there are scientists that are claiming that they're finding things going faster than the speed of light. If that turns out to be true, it raises all sorts of questions. Well, the central theory was that an increase in CO2 will cause an increase in temperature. The problem is there isn't a record of any duration for any time period in history in which an increase in CO2 causes a temperature increase. In fact, it's exactly the opposite, uh, that the temperature increases before the CO2. And one of the first places I saw this, and it immediately, it was one of the things that, um, that uh, w- was one of the first signs, uh, the ice core record came out, and they said, oh, there it is, temperature going up and down, CO2 going up and down. The, the guy that produced it, Jousel, the French re- researcher at the time, and I remember him saying, look, don't rush to judgment. Take, take uh, Richard's approach. You don't be very cautious. Um, but, um, and, of course, now, and it's interesting because everybody agrees that in that record, the temperature changes before CO2, not as is assumed in their theory. So it would, the, it would be yeah. just as... Um, uh, safe then to theorize uh, that temperature increases increase CO2 in the atmosphere. Yes. Yes. And, and of course, and we can't reason, say that for sure. Reasons for that is that CO2 is primarily controlled by the oceans and the oceans, uh, their ability to absorb or release CO2 is a function of their temperature. The colder they are, the more they can hold, the warmer they are, the more they release. The other thing is, of course, that uh, second to the oceans, what controls the level of CO2 in the atmosphere are the plants. And, uh, and of course, you see this with the Mauna Loa record. You've got, you've got the seasonal increase and decrease of the CO2 levels um, simply as the plants grow in, in the summer and die off in the winter. So uh, uh, that uh, should have told them the, the story right there. Um, but, of course, the real question becomes why the focus on CO2 when it's less than 4% of the greenhouse gases? It's only one of the minuscule, minute parts of the total uh, weather system. And, and yet they focus. So it's almost like they're going to say, I'm going I'm to do an analysis of Richard, and I'm only going to look at one very small little brown mole on his left arm, and then I'm going to say that is representative of Richard. That's how bad the science of this is. And, of course, the, the question that's raised is, how were they able to focus on the CO2, and why did they focus on the CO2? That's the real issue. All right, let's go to the phones. And uh, first out of the shoot is uh, our good friend, Nelson Thal. Hello, Nelson. 
Hey, how are you, Richard? Just a tremendous show as usual. Thank you, my friend. All right. Uh, did you want to ask uh, Timothy Ball something? Yeah, I just wanted to ask you, um, you've been looking at a lot of research. I don't mean this tongue-in-cheek, but are you worried about your safety? Um, well, <laughs> thank you, Nelson. Um, yes, I am, and, but I'm more worried about my family's safety, and I'm, I'm not proud of this, and, and it, it came out... Um, in a, uh, I did a documentary with Martin Durkin of, of Channel 4 in the UK, and um, he asked me, have you, have you been threatened? And I said, yeah, I've, I've received six death threats. And, um, and of course, that en- ended up in, in the video. The interesting thing is that since I went public with it, um, they've stopped. And the reason I didn't want to go public with it, Nelson, was that there are an awful lot of scientists who don't agree with what's been going on but have been afraid to speak out. The bullying that's gone on with this, the bullying of corporations, the bullying of politicians, the bullying of scientists, um, uh, and so um, I, I say the reason I didn't want to say that was because that would give a whole lot more of them a reason to not speak out. Uh, but as I said, in, in terms of my own uh, situation, they stopped. Uh, the sad thing is, and this is a, a warning to all those people with computers out there, and of course the CRU are suffering from it, um, I, I deleted the uh, emails right away, and of course that doesn't necessarily mean they're gone, but then I sold the, the computer, and, um, and, I, and I know now, because we tried to track it down, uh, that it, it, it's gone to the scrap heap with its hard drive with it. Uh, but um, if I got any now, I would know because uh, the Mounties told me what to do and how to keep it. Uh, but as I said, that and, and when you look at that, you say, hang on a minute, we're just talking about the weather. And here there are death threats over it. This is really incredible. But that's what's been going on. And when you read these emails and when you see people in scientific positions uh, plotting and arranging to get um, uh, editors fired, and, uh, and and getting and I'll, I'll tell you a quick story, Nelson, in relation to this. One of the people that was um, very o- open and active uh, was a, a superb solar physicist by the name of Sally Balunas. Now, Sally was working with R- Willie Soon at, at Harvard. They were at Lamont Doherty, actually. And of course, the solar physicists they knew that the sun varies and that the variation in energy would would be a major factor in climate change or temperature change. As Sally was on advisory boards, the, the NRSP that we, which is now defunct, she was on that. All of a sudden, we stopped hearing from her, and I, uh, uh, you know, say, "What's going on here?" Well, we finally tracked her down, and uh-huh. we learned that uh, she basically been told to shut up. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but Sally told me that the personal attacks on her as a woman and as a redhead were really vile. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, now, when these files, when these e- emails came out that were, ha- that, that were hacked, I'm looking through them, and here's a set of, of, of emails that explained what happened. There's an email from John Holdren, who's currently the Attorney General and the science czar of, of Obama, uh, sent an email to Michael Mann, who's... Who's the, argued for a massive depopulation, by the way. Oh, yes, he's the, he's the eugenics guy and all of that stuff. He, he's back with the Club of Rome, which, of course, where a lot of this started. And, and here he sent an email to Michael Mann, and he said, look, um, uh, I've been able to uh, uh, shut up uh, and, and shoot down soon and, uh, and Balionis at Harvard here because we have a breakfast club, and uh, we... Um, 
we had a debate about it, and I fed the uh, Breakfast Club people uh, all of the information. And um, and he's he's sending this to man and saying, look, circulate this to your CRU people. Uh, they will find it entertaining. Uh-huh. And, and and of course, then suddenly, bingo! I'm saying, okay, now I know why Sally shut up. Uh, that's well, just one of my own commended, I, I want to thank you for risking um, and to, and being brave enough to come out and talk like this. It's uh, terrific, and it's a great testimony to Richard that he's able to. Um, to bring you on like that, Richard, uh, full marks. It's just terrific having somebody on who, who has this information. And the, the, the more you get it out, the safer you'll be. Thank you, Nelson. Nelson, Nelson I'm sure you'll be uh, you'll be um, uh, talking about this at some point on uh, your internet uh, radio program at uh, cloakanddagger.ca. Thanks, Richard. Bye bye. All right, Nelson Thal, who uh, joins us on this program from time to time. Timothy, uh, stay with us. Uh, more phone calls uh, to come and uh, more questions from me as we discuss the global warming hoax. Don't go away. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And we're discussing the contents of leaked email communications between scientists and researchers at the Climate Research Unit at the University of East Anglia, the CRU responsible really for shaping the debate or not the debate so much because uh, they don't think there is one, uh, but but uh, really uh, giving rise to the whole theory of global warming uh, and uh, man-made global warming. This is all being called into question now because these leaked emails suggest the data is fudged or has been fudged or manipulated. And uh, I want to ask you in a moment uh, about the role of the Club of Rome, which you mentioned uh, uh, Timothy Ball is uh, with us. But first, let's go back to the phones and say hello to, is it Rachel or Raquel in yes. Georgetown? Hello. Hi, Hi there. Ra- Hi, it's Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Um, I already heard you mention about the sun, um, so I don't have to, to go into that. But my grandfather, um, who served in World War II voluntarily, he died about 10 years ago, and he said to me, he said, um, I have one regret. And I said, what is that, Grandpa? He said, I regret that I never did anything to speak up because I have a great-grandchild now, but I have to worry about the fact that we dumped, you know, the Allies and, you know, Germany dumped billions and trillions of tons of chemicals into all the oceans all over the world. And it's going, it is having an effect, and it's going to get worse. And nothing is being done to clean it up. That Rachel, thank you for that. I mean, that might be the great travesty uh, uh, here, uh, yeah. Timothy, is that yeah. all our eggs are now in the global warming basket. And, yes. and, and, and for people not to understand that when, when uh, people like yourself or others speak out against global warming, yeah. that doesn't mean that you don't believe that there are some serious environmental problems That's to right. be addressed. And that the problem is everyone's focused on global warming, but there are serious 
Yeah, no, and Rachel's absolutely correct uh, in, in, in the misdirection. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, it's something that I've shouted about. I mean, in Canada, for example, and the Canadian uh, people, and I, I hate to say they were, they were from Morris Strong, who Ontarians are very familiar with, because he set the whole thing up, uh, and, and Environment Canada's involvement in it and the setting up of the IPCC, particularly Gordon McBean, Assistant Deputy Minister at Environment Canada. The Auditor General said that in, in a, in a, uh, in a seven-year period, Environment Canada spent $6.8 billion on climate change, um, and in that same period, they didn't even achieve their own targets on pollution. No, but, of course, one of the things that they did um, with the... Oh, we lost Tim there. Yep. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah. Sorry, Tim. Go ahead. Well, the ocean, the oceans. Um, yeah, uh, but but um, uh, well, uh, 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 the ocean issue, um, and of course, this is part of the difficulty. We haven't been monitoring. We haven't been checking. Uh, we don't. We don't know what's going on. We do know there was material dumped, and of course, one of the things that's interesting is the amount of oil that was sunk during the war in those convoys. Where did all that go? What's happening to that? But it's because of this diversion, as, as Richard is correctly saying, and you're implying, um, uh, into, the, into the climate change and global warming issue. Um, and the other thing is they deliberately muddied the water. So they deliberately put it out that CO2, which is a, a very important uh, uh, gas in the atmosphere and perfectly harmless, uh, they put it out that it's a pollutant, and um, in fact, uh, the uh, government, the Canadian government, got it listed as a toxic substance. It's a nutrient, but, is it not? Is it well, not a nutrient? For the plants, it's absolutely essential. And, and um, so uh, this is all part of the game, was to, uh, to muddy the waters, to distract the public, uh, to uh, you know, make, make it look like I didn't care about the, uh, the future or the uh, children or anything else. And um, and as I said, my bigger concern, Richard, for the last two or three years has been, I've been speaking about this publicly, uh, what I've said is when the public find out the extent to which they've been misled, then we'll have the problem that they'll say, well, we don't believe anything you, you tell us, and therefore those issues that do need to be addressed, uh, like the ones that, that uh, Rachel is identifying, they won't get dealt with. And so that's the problem, of course, when you cry wolf. And um, so uh, I think that the, the, what these people have done, the ramifications of it are enormous. The, um, the Club of Rome, which you mentioned earlier, yeah. uh, and, and some, of, uh, some uh, see the Club of Rome as a, uh, a sort of an, an, an offshoot, uh, uh, if you will, of the, uh, these secret roundtables, the Bilderbergs of the New World Order, whatever you want to have yeah. it, that they are essentially globalists who are plotting for one world government. What, um, where do you see the fingerprints of the Club of Rome on, on, uh, on, on um, man-made global warming? Well, the fingerprints are um, in, the, um, uh, in the statement. Uh, as you know, they, they came out with two publications. One was The Limits to Growth. And, of course, what they did at that time was the first time they had computer models and they were using them in incredibly simplistic ways, simple linear trends. They said, oh, well, you know, this is the rate of use and it's going to keep on going and we'll run out of this and run out of that. Um, and, but then they came out with a second publication uh, that uh, basically says, in fact, it doesn't basically, it says straight out, we've, uh, we've got to uh, catch the imagination of the public and get their attention and we've got to do it with um, issues of focus on, on water. 
global warming is one of the things they list. And they say, we've got to do this uh, even if we have to falsify the record. That's the actual statement in this, this Club of Rome publication. And, of course, uh, Morris Strong uh, was one of the uh, first Canadian people in that. He's, he's a member from 1970 on. And um, Morris Strong uh, made the statement 30 years ago, so it, it sort of coincides shortly, shortly after that, so 1970. But he made the statement that, um, the problem for the planet are the industrialized nations, and it is, isn't it our responsibility to get rid of them? Now, I'm not here to be a defender of, of industrial. Yeah, there's pollution problems. Uh, they, most uh, industries have, have dealt with it and, and are being very corporately responsible now. But ask yourself how you would get rid of an industrialized nation. How would you shut it down? And the analogy to think about is the industrial nation is the engine of a car. And it's a good analogy because they're both essentially running on fossil fuels. If you shut off the energy to that engine, the engine will quit. But if you do that in a nation, the public would scream immediately. And the increase in gas prices is a good example of that. But if you can show that the byproduct of that engine uh, is destroying the climate and destroying the planet, you can effectively shut the engine down, and that's no different than people know if you plug the exhaust of an engine, it will stop the engine. And so what, what they did was, this is why CO2 became the focus. And, of course, Morris Strong then, uh, and, and by the way, he, he Petro-Canada, he, he just about ran that into the ground, and then Ontario Hydro, as I said, Ontario's going to have energy problems for the next 40 years because of that man, and all of you are paying a premium on your electricity bills because of what he did. Um, and What did he, he do specifically? Well, basically, um, he didn't uh, allow any uh, uh, renewal of energy sources in Ontario. He didn't plan for new nuclear plants. He didn't plan for any uh, coal-burning plants. He planned to have them shut down. Um, he put up those wind farms north of Toronto, which are uh, absolutely useless. And and um, and uh, so uh, the legacy of that, and of course in the last election you had in Ontario, uh, the two parties were outbidding each other for uh, how much uh, megawatts of nuclear power they were planning to build. And, uh, and of course when McGuinty got elected the first time, he said, I'm going to get rid of that uh, strong uh, uh, penalty on your hydro bill, and it didn't take him long in power to say, I, I can't do it. And uh, so I say Ontario is going to pay for a long time. But uh, Strong, uh, in a book by Elaine Dewar, a superb journalist from the Hamilton Spectator at the time, wanted to write a book in praise of all of the Canadian environmentalists, including Elizabeth May and, and people like this. And Strong is 20% of the book. And she interviewed him and asked him about this statement about getting rid of the industrialized nations and his plan for, you know, one world government and, and uh, basically a world socialist government. And, and she said, well, look, if you've got these ambitions, why, why don't you run for political office? And his reply was, you can't do anything as a politician. I'm going to go to the U.N. where I can get all the money I want and not be accountable to anybody. And, of course, that's what he did. And he went to the U.N. and set up the United Nations Environment Program and, and again, like with Gore's movie as a good propaganda, Strong is incredibly pers persuasive. He's a superb uh, at setting up bureaucracies. 
And uh, when he set up the United Nations Environment Program, out of that came the Intergovernmental, on Pl- uh, Inter- Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change that we talked about. Now, this, Richard, this is from my own experience of having chaired commissions of inquiry or served on commissions of inquiry. I, um, uh, the commissions of inquiry are, are lovely vehicles for politicians because there's a dispute going on and uh, people are yelling at the politician, why don't you do something? And the politicians don't want to get involved in it. It's like family disputes. The police say, don't get involved. So they'll say, okay, we'll have a commission of inquiry. It'll be arm's length. And everybody says, oh, great, good for you. And then if anybody comes around to the politician, say, well, what is, I can't talk until the report comes in. Sorry. Well, the very first commission of inquiry I was on was over disputes on, on a lake in Manitoba. And um, I suddenly realized how the politician wasn't, in fact, losing control because the terms of reference that we got as a commission of inquiry so restricted us that we couldn't even get the data we needed, let alone come up with the solutions that were necessary. And a very good example of this, um, which you've probably discussed many times on your program, was the Kennedy assassination. Oh, yes, last week. Uh, Okay, and and at one point they interviewed Judge Warren, who was the commission of inquiry, and they said, well, why didn't you look at the... uh, the Mafia-Dallas connection, and his response was, oh, it wasn't in my terms of reference. So when you look at that, you can see why um, all of the conspiracy theories that have come out about that was because the, the commission was so restricted that it really didn't do the proper job on the issue. Well, this is what Strong did. He wrote the terms of reference for the IPCC, and therefore restricted what they could look at. And the first thing he did was they took the definition of climate change for the IPCC was that they only look at causes of climate change that are human-related. In other words, they eliminated all natural causes of climate change. Like good El Nino, and we're supposed to have a very mild winter because of El Nino, and I'm sure exactly. I'm sure many... And, 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 and Rachel started talking about the sun. I mean, there are there are um, changes in the orbit of the Earth around the Sun that let's, we've known about for 150 years. That let's are talk the about major those. Driver of long-term climate. We'll talk about uh, other possible reasons for climate change when we come back. Of course, now uh, David Suzuki and others aren't calling it global warming because people are starting to wake up to the fact that hey, the planet's not warming up; it's actually cooling down. Well, they want to have it both ways. They're gonna they're gonna blame that on CO2 as well. They call it climate change. It's not global warming anymore. Look at this hand and ignore what this one is doing. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Timothy Ball, my guest, global warming skeptic. They are now uh, changing the, the, the reference. They don't call it global warming. I say they, the, the proponents of man-made global warming. Now they call it climate change. And wh- wh- why did they do that exactly? Well, it, of course, one of the things that you watch with uh, when when people are starting to uh, fo- focus in on something, they move the goalposts. And, and and in this case, as you correctly point out, they went from global warming to climate change, uh, because um, uh, and I guess the best quote is the, is one that's over a hundred years old from Thomas Huxley. He said, "The great bane of science is a lovely hypothesis destroyed by an ugly fact." And the the ugly fact was that from 2002 to the present, global temperature has been going down. And in fact, in one of the emails, they actually say the temperature is decreasing and we can't explain it. And this is really annoying. And and um, but at the same time, the CO2 level continued to rise. And uh, so uh, 
Of course, this again completely contradicted that major assumption that we talked about earlier. So they they said, well, let's not talk about global warming anymore. We'll talk about climate change, and um, and of course, then I went from being a global warming skeptic. And I didn't mind that title because all scientists should be skeptics. If you're not a skeptic, you're not a scientist, as, you, as you've inferred. And then I became a, a climate change denier, uh, my, myself and a few others. And, of course, that, with all of the Holocaust connotations of that term, um, uh, but what's amusing about that is that my whole career has been anything but denying climate change. In fact, I've been trying to educate people to the extent and amount uh, and causes of, of long-term climate change. So, uh, And they've done the same thing, by the way, Richard, with the um, uh, carbon credits, which came out of Kyoto, and it became briefly a carbon tax, and now it's cap-and-trade, but it's exactly the same thing. But cap-and-trade sounds good because you're capping the, the, this horrible carbon and holding it in and reducing it, and then you're, you're trading it, so it's, it's, it's a market force. It's, it's a good thing. Uh, it's just smoke and mirrors. And uh, so I say that the switch from global warming to uh, climate change was exactly that. And there's a wonderful cartoon that I show audiences of a, a guy huddled up in a snowstorm, and the caption says, they're telling us that we're going to have another 8 to 10 inches of global warming today. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's uh, talk about um, um, some of the, uh, the, the possible um, causes of yeah. climate change. And, and, and uh, an earlier caller mentioned uh, solar events, yeah. such as uh, the, the Maunder Minimum, a solar yeah. event. Is there um, significant evidence to suggest that uh, a solar minimum such as that we're experiencing right now, and that's the absence of, of, uh, of sunspots, sunspots yeah, could be yeah. connected to either global warming or global cooling. Yeah, let, 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 uh, we've got to go a little bit beyond that, if you'll uh, allow me. But um, there are... Uh, the, the sun is orbiting the Milky Way, and it takes uh, every 250 million years, it enters uh, an, an arm of galactic dust, and the the uh, timing of that is coincident with the fact that we have uh, a major ice age uh, every 250 million years, and uh, so the recent one we had started two and a half million years ago, and we just come out of it. Uh, well, you go back 250 million years. There's another ice age, another, t- and it it it's argued that it is uh, going through that galactic dust that's having an, it has an impact on the sun and cooling of the sun. So that's the first major long-term influence of the sun. And then the the next one is that the what's called the Milankovitch effect. And there's another. You want to start talking conspiracies? Um, Milankovitch effect is that the orbit of the Earth which is put in most books uh, still, unfortunately, as, as, as a fixed uh, minor elliptical orbit. In fact, uh, it's almost circular right now and goes to extreme ellipse on a, on a regular basis, and it's caused by the gravitational pull of the planet Jupiter primarily. That distorts the orbit of the Earth around the Sun. And so 20,000 years ago, the Earth's orbit was much, much more elliptical than it is now. And uh, so it goes from minimal ellipse to maximum ellipse and back to minimal over a period of 100,000 years. That 100,000-year cycle, uh, which is called orbital eccentricity, um, it, it really explains the 
buildup of ice sheets and, and uh, melting of ice sheets within the Ice Age. So in the last two and a half million years, the ice sheets have built up and, 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 and disappeared four different times. Okay? And then there's also the change in the tilt of the Earth. The tilt, uh, we use 23 and a half, but as I like to joke, that's just close enough for government work. And the tilt shifts all the time from uh, 20, uh, 21.8, I've got to get the numbers right, 21.8 to 24.4. Of course, if you change the tilt, then you take, change totally the distribution of heat energy from the sun, the, the, the latitude of the Arctic and Antarctic circles, the tropics of Cancer and Capricorn, and so on. So that's a constant cycle, and it's about a 40,000-year 40, cycle from minimum tilt to maximum tilt and back to minimum tilt again. Then there's something called the precession of the equinox, that is the date on which uh, the equinoxes and the summer solstice and winter solstice occur. And by the way, I'm sure you've had some discussions about that Mayan calendar in the oh, year. Oh, yes. yes. Okay. Well, um, that, of course, uh, doesn't take into account that the date on which summer solstice and winter solstice occur is constantly changing. Okay? And, and um, it, the, uh, the other part of that, of course, is, is that it, uh, there's the argument that we're going to have a magnetic reversal at that time. And uh, the reason for that is the Earth's magnetic field's been weakening for a thousand years, and they're projecting it to continue to weaken and reverse. But that, that's, that's outside the issue. Um, so, so and, and by the way, with that procession of the equinox, um, our calendars are fixed. But nature isn't. It's constantly changing. So we have to constantly upgrade our, our calendars to, to keep up with what nature is doing. And so those three things collectively uh, affect the amount of energy that the Earth receives from the sun, as they collectively called the Milankovitch effect. And um, none of that is included in their computer models. They don't even, they don't even talk about it in their, in their reports. All right, let's go yeah. back to the phones and uh, say hello to Tim and Kitchener. You're on the line with Timothy Ball. Tim, go ahead. Yeah, I just had a question about acid rain. Uh, we don't hear about that uh, topic much anymore. Is it still happening? No, uh, acid rain. Um, there were some. Uh, there, there were some uh, direct effects. Of, uh, I know. I lived in Sudbury for a year, and I always joke about I had hair when I moved there. And of course, that that uh, chimney stack of the smelter in Sudbury was. Uh, pointed at as as producing 10% of the sulfur that produces uh, acid rain in the world. Um, they've, they've eliminated all of that, but the extent of the acid rain was, was grossly overplayed. Um, and in fact, um, they, uh, there was the, uh, the Mulroney government was pointing the finger at the Americans saying, your acid rain's killing our maple syrup industry and killing our trees. And this is another illustration of, of the degree to which people are silenced in government. I chaired a, a committee on climate fluctuation at the National Museum in Ottawa, and a guy came up to me, as a government employee came up to me and said, uh, I've been assigned to look at the acid rain issue and to prove that it's the uh, coming from the U.S., and my, gut, my prime minister's out there saying that, but he said, I've done two years of research, and what I found is that the uh, problem with the trees is, is, is caused by two things. One is that um, there was drought going on. The second thing is that they were having very early spring, which the trees started to bud, and then there was a hard frost. And what happens with trees is they go into what's called a dieback, and but they will re, they will uh, come back again and grow leaves. But the leaves are much smaller. They'll go through their their full cycle, but the, they're smaller, and therefore the sap is less, and therefore the maple syrup 
was reduced. Um, by, and, and I said, well, what's your problem? And he said, well, the, the prime minister's saying this, and I'm finding exactly the opposite. That's a difficult position to be in. (laughs) Oh, exactly. Tim uh, in Kitchener, thank you for the call. Another quick time out, uh, Timothy, when we come back. uh, We'll um, uh, wrap things up, but I I do want to talk to you about another damning document that's coming out in advance of the Copenhagen summit, uh, and that has to do with uh, the supposed melting of uh, glaciers in places like the Himalayas. Uh, That's very interesting, too. We'll discuss that when we come back on the other side. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Next week on the program, we'll fall two days shy of the, it'll be the 29th anniversary of the murder of uh, John Lennon. Sunday, December the 6th, I'll dedicate the full two hours uh, to um, examining the mysterious life and death of... uh, my favorite beetle. I'm sure many of your, your, uh, you feel the same way about that as well. All right, Timothy Ball is with us. Uh, just a few minutes remain, uh, Timothy. The um, the uh, environment minister in India, again just ahead of this Copenhagen summit, uh, released a discussion paper saying that the glaciers in the Himalayas are receding. That's true, but there's absolutely no evidence that they're doing so because of global warming. Yeah. Um, that this is another th- thing that uh, the the proponents of global warming often cite is the receding glaciers around the world. They say it's incontrovertible that they're, they're melting and it's because of global warming. Yeah, this, this is absolute rubbish. Now, first of all, if we go back to the fact that we're in an interglacial, so that ice sheet that covered uh, all of Canada just twenty thousand years ago and was larger in area than the current Antarctic ice sheet, um, yes, those glaciers have have retreated in the last ten thousand years. Um, but but here's the problem with the current situation. First of all, we're only monitoring about 10% of the world's glaciers. Half of those are advancing and half are retreating. And as the Indian uh, minister said, he's, he's absolutely right. And by the way, I've worked with Indian uh, uh, meteorologists and climatologists, some of the best in the world, and also with, uh, with Russian and Chinese. But what people forget about glaciers is that, um, like with tree rings, they're as much about precipitation as they are temperature. And um, so the glacier grows because of uh, uh, the fact that uh, snowfall survives the summer and then starts to accumulate and, and eventually forms ice in a process called uh, nivation. And, and so that the, the real major control of most glaciers is snowfall. And one of the things, for example, that Gore pointed at was the Kilimanjaro uh, uh, glaciers and so on. Well, they, they, they've had a drought in that region. The, the temperatures around Kilimanjaro show no warming whatsoever. And uh, so, but it's very convenient to uh, to point at these things and say, "Oh, this is a catastrophe, and it's all being caused by." But this goes back to Richard, what what we talked about earlier, that they're taking normal events and telling you that they're abnormal, uh, and because the public don't understand, they can get away with it, 
And um, and it also means, of course, that they can never run out of material because tomorrow there's going to be more normal events <laughs> that they'll present as abnormal. Are you and convinced? We're going to get a barrage of this up till Co- Copenhagen. Are you convinced that the ultimate motive behind this is uh, one world government? Yes, yes. I, I I don't think that there's any doubt about that. And in fact, Obama went when he went to uh, Copenhagen recently, and I refer to what's gone on there with the Nobel prizes and everything else the, as the scandals in Scandinavia. The day he uh, before the day before he appeared, um, he made the statement that um, you know that finally the UN will be able to achieve uh, through the climate issue uh, what it's always wanted, and that is one world government. And uh, when you look at Obama's history and you look at the, the Club of Rome and, and uh, uh, you look at um, Murray Strong and George Soros uh, and all these people, uh, I think that that's the objective. And, um, and of course, as I've said, uh, they've written themselves that, that the ideal vehicle to achieve this is, is global warming and or climate change. Uh, I would think at this point it's probably political suicide for a world leader to uh, to stand up and say, uh, I don't believe in global warming. I think Ronald Reagan certainly would have done that. Uh, but do you think secretly, for example, Prime Minister Stephen Harper, uh, I mean, while publicly he says, yes, we need to do something about global warming, but, uh, but um, you know, behind closed doors, yeah. he's saying, we're not signing on to this, it's rubbish. I think I think you're uh, you're right on the money. The only the only leader, world leader that has spoken out is Vaclav Klaus, who's the, uh, the prime minister of, um, of the Czech Republic, and he he in fact has written about uh, you know um, a green control on a, on a blue planet. And I heard him speak in New York at the first conference that we had of skeptics. But I do know that uh, Harper's office is well aware. Of the, of the science and what's going on, but you're absolutely right. Um, it is political suicide that any hint that you might uh, not uh, be, care about the environment and or you know uh, go with this issue, and, and it's a measure of the degree to which these people have been able to bully. I mean, for example, they've taken the moral high ground on the whole environmental issue. They, they say, oh, we're the only ones that care about the environment, the rest of you don't care. Well, well sorry, how dare you do that? And it's interesting, by the way, that India, again, uh, going back to your comment about the glaciers, India trumped the, uh, the, them on that moral issue because they said, look, uh, if you're right, even at, 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 with your scenarios, we're going to have about a one degree Celsius increase in 100 years, and you're telling us that's already happened in the last 100, and it didn't bring the world to an end. And oh, by the way, uh, before we start worrying about that, we've got people starving to death. We've got we've got much greater and more immediate priorities. Amen. Yeah. Uh, Timothy, keep up the good fight. Always a pleasure having you on. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for the opportunity. Good stuff. Dr. Timothy Baugh. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to uh, Dan Ellison. Back next week again, the full two hours on the life and death of John Lennon. Some very, very strange chapters uh, to be discussed there. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I say in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.